Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode number 116. So before we start, um, we got Twitter chat again this April 20th, Friday at 1 p.m. Central Time. Uh, um, we haven't really come up with a topic yet, so we'll come up with one and tweet it out when that's all you know, ready to go. Um, meetup information, May 23rd at 6 p.m. at MacFab HQ in Houston. Um, we'll have Brandon Stratrum. Stratrum? I hopefully that's how Satrum. Satrum. Um, from Particle. He's going to give a talk about IoT fundamentals. Um, and I think we're going to do like a couple episodes of the map with him as well. Yeah, you might be seeing some pretty cool collaborations that extend beyond the MacroFab walls. Yeah. So that's going to be pretty cool. And then the Houston Hardware, the first Houston Hardware Happy Hour is coming up soon. It's going to be the first Thursday of the month, which is May 3rd. Uh, Come by, bring hacks and or hang out. Um, It's going to be at Slowpokes in Houston. It's it's a place that has beer, uh, coffee, and food. So it should be pretty fun. I haven't actually been there yet. I probably should go and ask them if that's okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I was actually over there just the other day, and what was cool was... Uh, it says no electronics yeah, on the sign. Zero <laughs> electronics. No, no, no. Here, here's how I know it's a very like friendly place for electronics, guys. Uh, you go to pay, and right by the counter, just to the right of it, was a piece of paper that was like duct taped to the to the counter, and it was a D&D sign-up sheet uh, oh. to play D&D at Slowpoke. So I was like, okay, these guys are cool. <laughs> Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So, those are the three events coming up. Oh, well, when this podcast comes out, we've already done this month's meetup. So, right. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the Slowpokes meetup is at 6 p.m. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, Stephen, what have you been working on? Um, this week, I just want to talk real quick about a little bit of a uh, an oscilloscope hack. Uh, actually, no, it's a, a little bit of a trick more than a hack. Um, so, dynamic signal analyzers. Uh, you, have you ever played with one no. of those before? Explain what one is. Okay, dynamic signal analyzer is basically a nice, big, fancy box that will automatically make a bode plot uh, okay. on a screen for you. And and for those who don't know, a bode plot just basically shows the amplitude response of a s- system. F- filter. Well, oh, or, or, or yeah, whatever guess, you plug it into. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess anything, you're right. It's really. not really a filter. So, I, guess, so it, I guess the system would contain the filter, so... Right, right. Yeah. So so the way it works is it spits out a signal. It mm-hmm. knows the amplitude that it's spitting out. Uh, you put that signal into your circuit, and then it reads the output, and it compares the amplitude of what it's spitting out to what it's reading back. Mm-hmm. And that ratio, it just prints it on the screen based off of what frequency it's at. So gotcha. you can tell it to sweep from one frequency to another and display that on the screen basically that shows you the response of filters or amplifiers <laughs> or whatever you want uh so you know the last couple of podcasts i've been talking about um a kind of filter that i was working out and instead of doing things the traditional way um i wanted to kind of like pseudo make a dynamic signal analyzer or kind of utilize one but they're usually typically uh expensive and i don't want to go out and buy one but luckily there's like a cool trick to convert your oscilloscope into one one weird trick that tests what test manufacturers will hate yeah yeah (laughs) agilent doesn't want you to know (laughs) it's so so this trick doesn't really get you like high accuracy but it's really great for what i was doing because i was making a variable filter Mm -hmm. and i just wanted to see that my variable filter was working yeah and so like if if you want to just see that what you've made does sort of what you want this is a great trick for that so uh, you know, the, the the scanning on an oscilloscope is set by the time base. Mm-hmm. You tur- by turning the time base knob, you control how much time it takes for the, you know, the beam to cross That's the screen. That's the width knob. The width knob, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So the the, tri- the time base is the is the amount of time for each square on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on the uh, on the the whole length of an oscilloscope and my my oscilloscope has is 10 by 10 uh i think that's about what normally is that is yeah. normal except the digital one here at um macrofab has a widescreen yeah. so it's like i think it's to 10 by 14 or something yeah. like well, that well the thing about a modern one too like that it will just dis- you can just make it display the information you want so like so, you don't even look at the that's the, th- the thing about the time based stuff is i bet you most students don't even know what that means yeah, because that's just, why I said using the cursors anyway. Yeah, use yeah. the cursors, or like you just read the numbers that you me- are 
the scope is just measuring. Yeah. Like, you can yeah. add the measurements. That's why I said the width knob. <laughs> instead I know of, what, instead I know of time base. Instead yeah. of time base. Because um, most people still don't use an old school analog scope or anything like that. But, uh, Analog scopes are awesome because they're so easy. Oh yeah, I still in use comparison. a. I think it's what four four hundred um, Tektronics. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, the four thousand, right? No, no. This is my old one hundred megahertz analog. Oh, not your big like beefy guy. No, no, no. This That's is a, way different. This is all analog. I can't remember what it is. It's not Tektronics either. It's what was before it. Uh, there was something before Tektronics. I don't think it's called Tektronics. Huh. It's Tek something though. I can't remember. Okay. Well, whatever. Cool. Yeah. Well, the the time base knob basically de- determines how long it takes for the beam to cross the screen. In effect, so if you go, if you go and create a frequency sweep, which there's some great uh, websites that allow you to create um, wave files that have a frequency sweep um, that has the exact same time base as the entire sweep of the oscilloscope. What you can <clears throat> basically do is trick your scope into uh, showing the sweep signal across the, the you know the entire screen basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I found a I found a website that will automatically create a wave file for you where you pick the starting frequency, you pick the ending frequency, and you pick how long it takes for it to go from the start to the end frequency. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so what I did was I just picked you know, like 50 hertz as my low end. I picked 20 kilohertz as my high end, and I told it to go in between those at a rate of like a tenth of a second or something like that. And if you put your time base on your scope as a tenth of a second, then what you end up seeing is, <clears throat> or what you end up having as the input to your, your circuit is a sweep between those two frequencies that matches up with your scope. Uh, so if you read the output of your scope or, or if you look at the time base, you can actually see how the system or the filter will affect the wave. Mm-hmm. So basically you just look at the amplitude of the wave and it will follow the path of what the frequency response will be. So, you know, if it's a, if it's a low pass filter, it'll, it'll be flat uh, out into, you know, however far is. out it goes yeah. and then you see it trail off. And so uh, with my variable filter, I could you know, in real time, see the frequency response on just, you know, my scope. And all it took was downloading, you know, a little wave file off the computer. So there's tons of YouTube, like, tutorials on how to do this. It's not particularly hard, um, but it's a cool little trick that you can, you know, if you need just, like, a real small amount of frequency response analysis and you don't want to spend the $500 for a used, you know, signal analyzer... That's even... That's something on the low end. That's that's way on the low end, yeah. And and actually, so the thing is, a lot of scopes are actually including this feature now. So you know how a lot of scopes have FFT, yeah. Uh, which the fast Fourier transform is not the same thing as a as a correct. The, the fast Fourier transform shows the frequency content of an individual wave, correct. Whereas a signal analyzer will show what a whole system does to an entire spectrum of waves. Yes. Uh, they, they, it's funny because the plots look similar. They show actually the same. The X and Y data uh, are, st- are the same. It's just the, they do very different things. Uh, regardless, a lot of scopes now include a function generator that has a sweep capability. Uh, in fact, I was watching a Tektronix video um, earlier where it will actually physically plot a Bode plot. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, super nice. Because uh, it's like, why go buy a whole signal analyzer thing when you can just put that into a digital scope nowadays yeah. you know it's it, it just makes sense so <clears throat> i guess that that trick was good enough that now uh scope manufacturers are kind of including it yeah just adding it into their software yeah. package but it's really nice uh, with what i was doing because um, like if i wanted to see hey is my thing actually notching i could see it like scoop out like a chunk of the scope like the wave yeah, yeah. in there so um and you could if you really wanted to you could put like vertical um uh, what do they call them? Uh, indicators and actually measure voltage and things like that. It's not going to be super accurate, but if you kind of want to find a general range where your negative three dB point, your cutoff mm-hmm. frequency is, you could get like I don't know a ballpark range. Um, just as an idea, it's way more of a visual thing. Yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. it's like, is my thing filtering or is it not? More in that. Yeah, kind of well, that's a lot of times I use a scope for is just visual stuff like, oh, is my ripple in the right? area it needs to be for the power supply and stuff like that but that's because i'm more of a digital guy well yeah but but you know this is a little bit more of a trick that if you ever need to do frequency Mm -hmm. response and still feel like just seeing you know if something works this is a good little trick for it so yeah so i looked up it was it's still a 
Tektronics back then. It's just they changed the logo. Oh, your your little scope. Yeah, it's yeah. a uh, like a four six four or something like that. Ah, got yeah. you. With okay. a screen in the middle. Oh, yeah. screen. Yeah. Uh, it's not the circle screen, is it? No, no, no. It's a, it's a rectangle. Okay, okay. Or square or whatever it two is. Two channel. Yeah, two channel. Nice. Um, the problem with it is it's got a weird transistor issue that once it heats up, it stops really working too well. Like the beam stops, and you got to pick it up and drop it. <laughs> like an inch, and then it'll start working. Are you again. sure that's a transistor issue, not like just a soldering issue? Well, I've tried. Well, actually, it might be. I tried unconnecting everything and reconnecting everything back, and it still hasn't really fixed it. I need to sit down. I think one day and just resolder everything, and that'll probably fix it. That's that's probably. I'm guessing that's a six pack worth of time. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's like fifty boards in there that resoldered. <laughs> You know, I was looking on eBay the other day, and there's a lot of oscilloscope rebuild kits. Oh, on maybe there. I should do that. Yeah, I, I was actually looking for the scope that I have. Uh, it actually needs a lot of love. It has some issues with the triggering system and all kinds of crap. But uh, regardless, there was a kit that was it was seventy bucks, and you replace every transistor in mm-hmm. it and every capacitor in it, and a handful of resistors that, when it was built. They didn't put high precision resistors, and now these are high precision resistors. So the thing that sucks is like, yeah, you spend seventy bucks on it, but then you have to calibrate it. Yeah, you'd and, have to. Yeah, and and um, I looked at the calibration for my scope, and it's like, it's seriously like sixty pages of <laughs> of calibration stuff, and 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 some of the calibration stuff is like it points to like five different trend pots, and it's mm-hmm. like mess with these until this happens, and it doesn't really tell you what each one does. It's just like good luck. That's you know? total gray beard. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Um, I, the thing about that Tektronics though is I really only use it for visual stuff. Because uh, I have a Tektronix like TDS five twenty, which is a five hundred megahertz scope. Yeah, that's a like analog front end with digital readout on the CRT. Right. So it's actually really nice. So you get some of the modern stuff of like, oh, the frequency is a hundred kilohertz because it'll actually display it. Right. Um, and you can and you have like measures and you can actually measure stuff. The fact that they did all that in a, on a raster beam is pretty crazy. Yeah, it yeah. It, there's a, there's a lot of extra circuitry just just for, for that. that stuff. Yeah, um, and, and that's a really nice scope. But when I just want to like look at like especially like audio stuff, or if I want to look at like a low frequency like uh, filter or something, I'll just use that because I just have to plug it in and just wiggle the knob a couple times until the it looks correct. Nice. So yeah. So the scope I have. Um, I love this. It has like an extra gray beer mode on it. <laughs> like so, so mine mine has like the beam on it, like your your standard beam. It's an old analog scope, and it also displays the digital information. It's not. It's nowhere near as clear as yours, because mm-hmm. uh, yours is more of. Yours has a different screen on it. It's not like yeah. It's not the same like green CRT. Correct. Yeah. It actually shows it's a white screen. Right. It's a white screen. So mine isn't the classic one. So it shows both the beam in analog, mm-hmm. but then it shows a bunch of digital information on it. There's two separate knobs to control both the beam and the digital information. Their intensity. So if oh. you want, you can turn the digital stuff all the way off. Gotcha. And have like original gray beard. So like, yeah, actually just have to align. calculate stuff. Well, then then you'd have to look at every single one of the knobs. Yeah. And, and see. Like oh I'm at five volts per division and a time base of this because it's still written there yep. but I never read those knobs because it always displays in the in the digital form yeah on exactly there. Yeah. but but yeah you can you can you can turn that off if you yeah want. actually my TDS five twenty <laughs> doesn't even have stuff on the knobs right it's just right. a rotary knob so you just spin it and it just displays a time base on the screen oh it, they don't even have stops right it's just a rotary knob no no it's got it's got detents in it oh okay but, yeah. I thought I thought it might just be a um, uh, what do they call them. Encoder, encoder, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, so it's, it an enco- it. it's an encoder, but it's got detents on it. Right, but but can you spin it in- indefinitely? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's, mine is still like an analog click to like oh, put resistors to, in place. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Not like a not like a digital readout. Yeah. So, yeah. The crazy thing about that old Tektronics four six, I think it's a four six four, is when you open it up, all the connections like. The, the actually like like when you flip a switch from like A B or like you're gonna add the signals together or you're gonna like minus them or whatever, it actually moves a lever that goes like a foot back into the machine <laughs> yeah. to hit the switch yeah. and then it pulls the switch forward and backwards. Yep. It's very mechanical in how like the switches work, whereas the T D S has like a has a membrane 
uh, switch matrix oh, and yeah. then a PCB board there that you just press into. Right. So it's yeah, definitely it, a different experience. Textronics <laughs> is actually known for that. Uh, their 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 power switches, uh, the actual switch is usually physically mounted to the back of yeah, the scope. Yeah, actually, so this you one, push it and it's got this big long plastic push rod. Yeah, actually, this it. one. Yeah, the the four six four is a little tiny knob that you pull out to turn it on. And it goes all the way to the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's a custom molded like switch arm that goes all the way yeah, through. All the way yeah, to the back. Yeah, yeah. Switch on. Now the TDS doesn't have that. It's just got a soft power switch. Mm-hmm. So, hey, you got to kill all the power, man. No phantom power. And no there. phantom power. <laughs> I wonder how much power that that thing pulls in standby. Probably not much. Probably not because it's just sniffing for the power. Yeah. Right. Who knows. It's old, so it might pull like a watt. <laughs> just yeah, maybe for the power. Yeah, I guess I could get the what kilowatt out and plug it in. Yeah, cool. So yeah, that's something I've been using recently. It's yeah. cool. I got to give that a shot and make a video or something. Yeah, because uh, I've never done that before. I can, uh, I can uh, plug my my new filter into it and kind of give some make. We can make some gifts out of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> So last week, I was talking about the Game Boy. Oh, uh, yeah? Did you so, get the code to compile? Yeah. Actually, so I, I pulled out the Game Boy, and it was, like, all a mess, right? Because, like, of course, it's just solder, been sitting around. And, and it was sitting in a box and thrown around, moved, like, three times, and so all the cables were messed up. Um, so I got all that, the hardware and stuff, and then um, downloaded my... Because I didn't even have the stuff on my computer anymore, so I had to go to my GitHub repository and download the files. <laughs> And then compiled, and it compiled. So it's so my Cordis to install works correctly. That's like is Cordis to the IDE. Yeah, that's the IDE for an Altera Cyclone Four. <clears throat> oh, okay, got you. Yeah. Wow. And it was just like no issues. Yeah, it just and it just the, it, the project just like actually four hundred warnings or something. Like yeah, well, that. that's how it always is. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for this project. Yeah. Um. So the next step. On this is actually build a board to make it work, and so I was. So the thing about the Game Boy is it uses has two p the Game Boy DMG zero one, which is the model number, which is the big, the brick gr- gray brick Game Boy. Yeah, is it has two PCBs in it. One's got the I think it's a Z eighty processor if I recall, <laughs> um, but it's got all the processor stuff on it. Uh, power circuitry, all that stuff, and then it has a ribbon cable that goes up to the front board, which has the screen, speaker, and buttons on it. Isn't the speaker at the very bottom and bottom the screens right. up at the top? Yeah. Is it like a L-shaped board or something? No, no, it's a it's two boards sandwiched together. Oh, and they're both full size. Full, both full size. Oh, much. okay, okay, I got you. Yeah, you and gonna, so you gonna slide yours in between them? Well, that's what the idea because there's actually quite a bit of space in there, oh, okay. so you can you can slide it in there. But the trick is that ribbon because I want to put it in that ribbon cable because um, that's the perfect spot for it because all the LCD data, all the button information, all that stuff comes across it. Ah, so you just cut it and sniff it. Well, I was going to get um, two shorter cables mm-hmm. and then put my board in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the trick is, I remember from back when I was doing this, was it's very hard to find that cable size. I actually had to get them custom made. Really? Because they're Al- AliExpress or something? Yeah, <laughs> actually, it was AliExpress. Um, nice. Because they're 21 pin, which is kind of weird. And it's a weird pitch. And if I recall, I actually started looking through like my like old emails trying to find when I was talking to this person over in China and over AliExpress, like what were the specifications? I can't find them. Oh, is um, it like a two millimeter pitch or it's something? It's like one point two five. Oh, so it like it like the first two would line up in a in a regular connector, but then it would cascade. Well, well no, no, no. One point two five is kind of standard, isn't it? One point two seven. No, it's one point two five. Huh? It's okay. kind of standard. The problem is there's not a lot of connectors for it. Ah, um, a lot of them are like the vertical only, and I need a horizontal. Uh. connector so that I can lower the profile down. So, I think what I'm going to do is get actually get some custom flexi cable made for this project. Oh, a flex PCB? Yeah, get a flexible PCB and so I can put the connector the right size on one end that will plug into the the I guess the main board with the processor on it and then the display board on top. And then on the other ends, instead of using connectors, just design the flexi cable to be drag soldered. So it has like the little weird 
like semicircle ends on it on mm. the cable. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's designed to basically you tape it down and then you drag solder the the connector. And uh and yeah. then and then drop some hot snot on top of it. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Some glue. And that should be fine. Well, wasn't the original Game Boy sort of like a um an evolution of the NES hardware? No. It was, I, I thought it was like a like a like a almost a similar thing. Nope. What what's uh what's different? It's a completely different processor. So the, the Nintendo runs on a 6502. Right. And I think I think the Game Boy is a Z80. Hmm. Okay. I, I, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I looked at it. Yeah, it's a Z80. A Z80, which okay. is a completely different architecture, all that stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so so like everything is different about yeah, it, including how it's programmed. Yeah. So that's actually the funny thing is um, on the SNES, you know, you can get a Game Boy cartridge adapter. Yeah, it's it's a whole Game Boy in the cartridge. In the cartridge. Yeah. So that's the thing is the SNES is an evolution of the NES. It runs a very similar processor, runs very similar um, a lot of. It actually was originally designed to be backwards compatible. Oh, that would have been cool. Um, and I don't know why Nintendo decided not to. Um, but that's actually one of the big things is because it has the SNES still has an eight bit wide bus, which is kind of its downfall. Oh, slow. so so it has to hammer everything at least twice to get anything done. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, because it's not a true 16-bit console because it has an 8-bit wide bus. But its memory width is 16-bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I recall, it's right. been a while. So everything has to be done twice. Yeah. Um, or twice as fast. <laughs> well, I mean, twice as fast. Still, it just has to be done twice, no matter what. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um. So yeah, so you get this weird connector and weird pitch width and stuff on this thing, so it makes it really hard to find something to connect up to it. So I think just doing flexi cables and just order a bunch from the get go and just be like, well, hopefully they're right, and I get to use them later down the road for the actual product. So you're gonna you're <laughs> gonna just hot air off the old connectors and just no 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 no. So the connector these these. Flexi cables on one end will be designed to go into the original connectors. Ah, okay. And then okay, on the other you, side, they'll be designed to be drag soldered. On your board. On my board. Gotcha. Okay, so you're not going to modify the Game Boy side the at all. The whole idea is not to. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a, it's just a phantom board that, that goes in there, and the Game Boy's not even aware that it's there. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah. I got you. Yeah, that's going to be the idea. So that's the next step is to get that built. Is there any kind of issues that um, you see with the Game Boy... Um, I guess passing information between the boards because it's going to have to pass through your board. Yeah, um, I actually tried a longer cable and it was fine. <laughs> well, okay, so your code doesn't like it, there's no appreciable any kind of issues with it. Like it doesn't slow things down or no. So I'm going to design any data packet issues. No, nah, not really. Oh, okay. because all it is doing is it's it's I got you know high Z not yeah high Z inputs on the um, on the. Uh, well, high impedance inputs on the FPGA, and so and they just sit on the bus. Oh, okay. So, so it's not it, okay. I got it. It's not passing through your processor. Your processor is just like stealing data. Yeah, it's just off sniffing of it. off of it. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I, th- I thought, I thought, I thought you were putting yours in line with everything. No, no, no. So it's going to just sniff the LCD bus. Gotcha. Now the buttons are going to go through the FPGA and back out. Okay. Now that's only going to have like a twenty nanosecond lag, which you won't be able to tell. How, how do you know it's only twenty nanoseconds? That's just the gate speed. Okay, <laughs> you, found, you found what the propagation speed yeah, of it yeah. was, or, or did the I guess the IDE tell you how how long? Yeah, it was? yeah, you can just look at it. Okay, yeah. I mean twenty nanoseconds is. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's pretty much it goes. It's connecting two IOs together. That way, I can I can break it if I need to in, ah, in the you. code. Yeah. And do extra processing or something. So, some dude out there who who plays Super Smash Brothers would be like, "I I do not accept a twenty nanosecond delay <laughs> in my button presses. That's the difference between winning and, and losing." Could be. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the first. Thing. It's not even gonna be a f- pro, like a finished one. I just want to put like a VGA port on it. I'm just going to use. Uh, I think last time I was talking about like a DAC, but for the first one, it's just going to be a resistor network make it as close as what i originally had as possible and make it easy to work on and, and your board steals power right over the the, the uh yeah cable, it's got right? a five volt line on it okay yeah. so, everything's five volt so i actually have to use a a level transit a level shifter to knock it down to 3.3 for my fpga gotcha so so uh, like 
all said and done, you won't need anything other than this board yep. with its two flexi cables. Yeah, and the and then have an HDMI port. VGA at first. Oh, I'm sorry, VGA. Yeah. I actually got a. I can't remember who built it. I should have. I should have talked about this. I'll talk about this next week. Is the or in a couple weeks? I think we have a guest next week. I believe we, we do. Trey German. Yeah, Trey. Trey yeah. Trey German Part Three. Yeah, Part Three. Uh, Trey German Strikes Back. Uh, Return of the German. <laughs> Return of the German. <laughs> <laughs> Return of the Trey. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I got a FPGA board that had HDMI built into it, um, and it actually drives the HDMI directly. Now it's you can't do like 1080p; you can do like 640 by whatever. But um, apparently, that's a valid HDMI spec, and so I'm gonna give that a shot and see, you know, how does if I if I put the Game Boy information into it, how does that how do TVs handle scaling up that kind of resolution? And if it looks fine, then Okay. Okay, just run that and don't even worry about actually upscaling in the FPGA to 1080p because it's kind of not really a point. I mean, on, on a Game Boy, if you upscale that big, I mean, every pixel is going to be like the size of your fist. You know, like <laughs> no, well, no. The, um, my current VGA code actually 4x, uh, it does nearest neighbor scaling. Yeah. So it, it takes one pixel, copies it three more times, yeah. and then does that. So it's a really crisp. Upscale, it, right? I mean, it's blocky, but that's because that's what data is there. It doesn't make up data, which is oh, it does. It doesn't do like grayscale in between. Yeah, or anything yeah. Like which that. is a lot of upscaling does that. It will try to gradient it, and for graphics like the Game Boy or like SNES or whatever, it that actually looks bad because it just muddies it. Yeah, you you don't you don't want that at all. Yeah. Um, whatever whatever upscaling we did when we played Super Metroid, um, that looked. We we played Super Metroid once on a on a YouTube video. Yeah, uh, and uh, we did we did something on that, and that looked amazing. That was just that was nearest neighbor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was a direct, like I think it was an eight x increase. So one pixel became eight pixels, basically. Yeah. 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 Or it, it, one pixel became eight by eight pixels. Right. Just a big square. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which makes you keep the look of this nest, but everything looks clean. Well, yeah, the transition between two colors, two adjacent colors, is incredibly sharp. Yeah. If your TV can yeah. do that. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. So. Hopefully next week I have like maybe a board laid out. We'll see. Um, and then the um, I'm working on an Arduino article right now. It's about the um, like the uh, like on an Arduino, what kind of different parts are on it, and if you're using that for like your your project, like let's say you're prototyping with an Arduino, and you're starting to go to your product, what pieces do you actually need, and like what kind of considerations you should think about when making that switch from a two layer prototype, basically an Arduino with a they don't call them hats, um, shields, shields. That's right. It's been a long time. Hats today. are the pie world. Yeah, I really wanted them to call plates, because a pie plate. Uh, hat is an acronym, isn't it? Oh, uh, is it? I, 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 yeah, let me look this up. I, I think I think hat actually stands for ah. something. So yeah, so it's going to cover you know the. I'm going to basically break apart the schematic, um, what each part does, because the Arduino has a really interesting power mux system, like how it switches between USB power and um, DC in. From like the DC jack or the V in yeah. pin. Well, and and so like, if you are transplanting a uh, the the guts of an Arduino to your project, it's almost guaranteed that you're not going to need everything that's on exactly. the Arduino. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's you know, I, I was actually reading an article this week about the STM32 um, chip, mm -hmm. and uh, or it wasn't an article. I'm sorry, it was a forum post, and. Um, I totally feel for this guy who posted on there because he was like, look, I'm a newbie, but what do I need to make this thing just work on yep. my board? And the second question, which I feel is like a really neglected question by a lot of people, is like, okay, so I've got power to my microcontroller. My microcontroller is hooked up every possible way that I want it to. How do I program the damn thing? You know, like <laughs> yeah, 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 in yeah. place. And, yep, in and place. I feel like I feel like so many of these manufacturers miss a really good, um, you know, meaty topic right there. It's yep. just like, hey, if you need to program it, you need this, this, and this. Here's the pins. Here's the connections. Yeah, actually, if a 
for a microcontroller, you had like the bare bones, what like a schematic that was the bare bones for how this microcontroller works. Okay. Yes. And then, like, let's say a medium project, which is like, let's just try to get some peripherals working, and then the full Monty of everything. You know, you, you do you, that would be so helpful for a lot of people. I mean, myself included in 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 a lot of cases. Um, by the way, Iris just found out what uh, hats are. They they they're called hardware attached on top. Okay. It's it, it is what it is. It's not. You, you don't include uh, the on. Yeah, it'd be hot. Exactly. You don't do that. Hot. <laughs> but but no. Okay. So take take for instance, like <laughs> let's say let's say you wanted a three twenty eight P because we'll use that because that's the Arduino thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted a three twenty eight P, and you wanted USB capability. Yep. Uh, and you wanted it to run on five volts. It would be awesome if there was just like an example project out there that was like, here's all of those things. If you do this, it is practically guaranteed to work. It may not pass like CE, it may not pass FCC, it may not do any of that other jazz, but like you just put these things in your circuit and it'll work. And it'll work. Because uh, I mean, you've you've personally built like your own like building block library. Yep. I have a couple of my own too. Like when I'm working with a particular chip, I have a way that I like to do USB. Yeah. That like I've done on projects before, I know it works, so I just take all of those parts and copy Kind-paste them in. It. Yeah, yep. right. And that's kind of the beauty of that kind of stuff. However, it's like building that library of those building blocks is not particularly easy. No. Uh, something like that would be would be super awesome for the Arduino world. Mm-hmm. I think that it probably does exist, um, but I haven't searched too hard on it. So yeah, the thing is, like, if you don't have a good knowledge of it, then you get. It gets confusing really fast. Yeah. Especially like I, I mentioned this in the last podcast. You know when when um, Arduino moved away from the FTDI to mm-hmm. the to their own custom programmed USB controller. Yeah. Like that's really confusing if you'd have no clue what that means. And the thing about that chip too is it's like the same. It's actually ha- that chip. It's like a eighteen mega eight something. Sixteen U four. It's like eight U two or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. Anyways, it's one of those. Um, yeah. The funny thing about that chip is it has more pins than the 18 mega 328p. <laughs> At least the dip and it's, version. And it's purely there to sniff USB. Yeah, to, yeah. to do USB serial. And uh, it's not cheap either. It's it's actually like two dollars and something like cents in signal uh, signals, singles. Singles. Yeah. And uh, you got a crystal and a bunch of other stuff you need for it too. I I. Guarantee you, the Arduino guys got some kind of deal on it, or they well, wor- they worked it out such that it was the then, right price. Back then, the only other op what they were using on the Dewey Mova, whatever it was called, yeah. it's the preferred. <laughs> no one can pronounce that one. Yeah, it's before the Uno. Yeah. Um, it the only option was the FT two three two RL, which was like a four dollar chip. Yeah. So this was probably a good, you know, probably caught cut two bucks off the bomb. Right. But now. You got like the CP two thousand something, which is like a Silicon Labs chip. You got the MCP, blah 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 from from uh, microchip, and then you got a uh, you got FT two thirty X from FTDI now, and then you've also got um, there's a lot of players in the game. Yeah, that CH two o three, which is that Chinese one that no one can buy unless you go on AliExpress. And then you have all the counterfeit ones that just don't work. Oh yeah, like yeah all yeah. of those. Man, um, I actually I I have a project that's um, it's uh, not a project. Uh, it's something that I built that a guy put together. That it's a really fantastic project called the Mu Tester, mm-hmm. like the Greek symbol Mu, uh, and it's a it's a tube tester. Um, Does it have an umlaut on that? <laughs> I wish that would that would be fantastic. I think the guys from Denmark, um, where they probably don't use umlauts, but uh-huh. but they're not far away from the people that do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, uh, he, he designed this entire thing, and, and the whole control system is on a one of the big, like, pick chips. You know, like, the real long dip chips that have, like, 40 pins, but they're oh, yeah, enormous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I love it, because you can still buy that chip. It's just like, wow, dude, like, you know, there's a lot of other chips or out like there. Or, like, a... Um, I guess eight, he's comfortable with that an one. An 18 Mega 644P? Like, the, the monster one? Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah. Um, and I actually was using that one... Oh man, like eight years ago, because it has dual UARTs, and we wanted something that was Arduino compatible back then. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, it works. Yeah. Um. So so the thing is, like, he's got this pick, 
and I guess he, he already had the, all the code written for it, and it works really stable. So in the kit, he provides this whole thing that you build, and then you have to wire off to a DB9 connector, uh. and then you have to go DB9 to USB. So mm-hmm. it has to have that little like wart in the middle. That's the uh, yep. the serial converter yep. and stuff. And it's just like man, the whole like wiring of a DB9 connector, and then you have to go buy an FTDDI USB to DB9 connector mm-hmm. changer thing. Like could have just put a USB port on this thing yeah. and like been done with it. Uh, so so it's, it's I mean it's it's super nice now that like USB talking all the way down to your metal hardware is like super easy nowadays. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's, like, personally, I don't think there's a lot of good information on that. Uh, or, or a lot of good, like, really distilled information. There's tons of capability out there, and there's there's tons of ways to figure it out. But, you know, a building block? I, personally, I don't know if I've seen that a lot. I, I mean, SparkFun has some stuff. I, I've, seen, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen them write some stuff. But, like, it's still not as, like, straightforward, if you ask me, hmm. as it could be. Yeah. So, I mean, hence... DB9 connectors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fact that someone's still using that. I, I mean, they're reliable. They're robust. Yeah. And it's yeah. not going to break or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like, okay, great. My USB cable breaks. I just get a new one for a dollar. Yeah. Know? yeah, yeah Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah. So on to the RFO. This yeah. RFO is going to be a little bit weird, but whatever. Which one isn't? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we talked about the fat burger. Yeah. You the remember fat that? Like. <laughs> <laughs> that officially set the fact that the RFO is weird. Weird, yeah. So, oh, speaking of that, there's a conclusion to it. So, a couple. I, I wish we brought this up when it actually happened. I just forgot to put it on the RFO. Um, they cleared it out by launching it. No, unfortunately not. <laughs> um, but they're actually taking a piece of it and put it in a museum. What? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing! Yeah, so like why? Just, oh, okay, just like it's it's history. It's history. Yeah, the largest fat burger in the world would be in like the most. It would be like right next to like King Tut's mask. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they have that in the British Museum of whatever it is. Uh, probably. I natural his no. It's okay, so so I, I feel I feel like it is worth uh, mentioning because we do have listeners that have not listened back. Oh, in, yeah, in that's like up to like yeah. sixty or something. The, the Fatberg was a giant uh, sewer clog in London. Yeah. Of of fatty material. Yeah. Uh, and and. Why that shows up on Electronics Podcast, I don't remember exactly why. It was funny as hell. Yeah, That's, it was. I, I remember it at the time. Yeah. We, we laughed pretty hard at that. Can so. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's how we. How oh, you that's get right. Out. We were. Suge- oh, and we. Uh, if I remember right, we had talked to uh, Heavy Robotics, and they had talked about. Um, they had like sewer cleaning robots. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. where Fatberg came from. Yeah. yeah they yeah, said yeah. that once you put something in the sewer, though, you can never clean it. It always has. This oh, it's film like, on it's it. got like perma crap on it. Yeah. It ha- well, no matter how much you clean it and bleach it, whatever, it still has that feeling to it. That oh. it's yeah. Episode 85. That's a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's got some Ninja Turtle slime on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, the RFO. So, the I got an email this morning from DigiKey about a new product. Um, so, this is not a... You know, DigiKey's not paying us. I wish, though. I mean, if you want to, DigiKey, that'd be, yeah. that'd be pretty cool. Go, this is going to be called the MacroFat DigiKey Engineering Podcast. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> send me parts. Yeah. <laughs> send, no, just send us money. <laughs> send us money. <laughs> and I'll buy parts from you. Um, so, this is a... Uh, I, this is, it just struck me because how crazy this part is. Just from a... We like crazy parts. Um... Like, I just didn't know these kind of parts existed. Um, it's called the QHL600 mm-hmm. um, by XP Power. And it's a DC-DC brick converter. But not like a brick converter like you would say for your laptop. It's like a metal brick that goes on your board. You solder it directly to the board. Yeah. Yeah. And it's 4.6 inches by 2.4 inches by half an inch is how big this thing is. And it's got, like, mounting bosses. And I think it's crazy looking. Um, oh, it's it's actually made of aluminum or steel? Metal. Yeah, aluminum. aluminum. Probably on top. Okay. Um, oh, you know what I forgot? I forgot the price of this thing. I didn't I didn't look it up. Anyways, um, they're designed for around 300 volt DC input. Hmm. And they regulate down like 5, 12, 24, like normal voltages. Um, 
But yeah, I yeah, 180 volt to 425 volt inputs. And the thing about it is it's a description of like what is this thing used for? And I'm like, okay, like if you rectify 240 volt, you get 380 DC. Yeah. So it would work for that. Um and they're like, "Oh yeah, for, you know, um, high voltage batteries for like electric cars. Okay, that's cool. But then it says ESG solutions or base plate ideal for cooled ESG solutions. It's like, what is what is ESG? Yeah, I was just about to say electrostatic G. Yeah, I, I don't think it's electrostatic either. Um, so if someone out there knows what base plate cooled ESG solutions is, I've Googled, looked it up. Could not find out what this is. Huh. Um, if no one lets us know by next week, I'm just going to email, like, XP Power and be like, let me know <laughs> what, what, the hell? what is that term. What does your technical writer think that term means? Hmm. I'm getting a bunch of stuff. There's environmental, social, and governance. Yeah, it's not There's it. There's a band called ESG. Uh, there's a rapper called ESG. Yeah, there's I I don't know. Uh, I'm interested now. Um, so, so I actually write base before. plate cooled and large snake gates. What? And large snake gates. Snake and large snake <laughs> gates. That's it. It just like opens up. It takes like it takes 400 volts to open a snake gate. Of yeah. course. Yeah, of right? course. Hey, we do this. <laughs> totally makes sense. Oh, that's but it. It's like, but it's only for like bower constrictors. Oh yeah, right. The, well, the enlarged ones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just the regular snake gates are like 100 volt. Yeah, you know? 100 volts. That's yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> r- right before I started at Macrofab, I actually designed a product. I was doing some contract work, and um, I designed a product that <clears throat> was actually had very similar um, specs to this, where mm-hmm. I, the, the voltage actually was a little bit different. I had to design one where it could accept anywhere from 60 volts to uh, 390 volts, something okay. like that input, and it had to drop that to 24 volts, Ooh. and then it had to drop that again to 5 volts, um, and it, it, I used it in a, um, it was a valve controller gotcha. uh, for industrial stuff, and uh, I actually found a, uh, I don't remember who what it was, who it was, who made it, the, uh, it was a while ago, but, uh, but I found a chip that could do it, and uh, it was, it was an absolute pain in the butt. Uh, to to work with it had like all these weird virtual grounds and all kinds of hmm. stuff to to make it work, uh, but eventually it actually it ended up working. You could put AC or DC into the thing, practically anything, and it would it would drop it to twenty four. Uh, it was not very efficient, you know. Like yeah, yeah. I think on average I was getting fifty percent efficiency. But all said and done, for this application, it was it was still low power anyway. Mm-hmm. So like one watt became two watts. Whoop de doo. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Like in an industrial situation where you it was a safety uh, situation mm-hmm. uh, for valve control. So like it didn't matter. Two watts wouldn't wouldn't matter. So yeah, uh, yeah. but this kind of stuff is actually pretty difficult. The thing that's different is. This says what six hundred to seven hundred and fifty watts. Yeah, they have two different models. One six hundred and one seven fifty. That's hardcore. Yeah, to be able to handle that much current at uh, at that kind of juice, that's that's mm. hardcore. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty cool. I just like how it's like this ginormous brick of aluminum, and that's a part. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I've never seen a part. That, I think this is the largest part I've ever seen, besides like ginormous connectors, but those don't really count. You know what's nice about these power supplies is a lot of times they're pre-compliant, um, um, mm. and so you can just buy a switch mode power supply and know that its own radiation or conductance is not going to be a problem. Yeah, it's not going to be a problem with your product. So uh, you know, spending a little bit more on that is not going to be a, is is a lot of times really great. However, these bricks can be kind of expensive. Yeah, I know. I, I'll have to look up how much that is. I guarantee you, it's not cheap. <laughs> but but if you if you think about it, this thing if you're if you're rectifying 240 volts and you're dropping it to your five volts or whatever you mm-hmm. need, uh, you don't have to pay for the cost of a transformer. That's um, true. Yeah. So if if this is going like okay, so take for instance if you have a control panel. Uh, and inside that control panel, it's controlling some big 240-volt motor or something, mm-hmm. or even higher than that, really. Uh, if it's controlling something big, and you just need a small little 5-volt computer in there, I mean, this thing alone will take care of that. Yeah, and, well, it'd be way overkill, though, because that's, like, 
you know, 600, let's say it's 100% efficient, which is not, but 600 watts at 5 volts. Well, okay. <laughs> You're talking like 120 amps. <laughs> sure, sure. So, so uh, assume that this thing is also controlling a host of, like, relay controllers or something mm-hmm. like that. Or if it's a big, hefty PLC that runs on 5 volts. I mean, I don't know of any PLCs that run directly on 5. Most of them are 24, but still, like... This and all well, of the associated Well, they have a 24-volt circuit. version. So. Okay, sure. So, so I mean, the thing is, like, this is sort of like a... It seems like a one-stop uh, shop for your, yep. power your power in a big control box. Yep. So, that's kind of cool. Yep. All right. So, the next one is a Reddit post. Um, it was on the slash R slash electronics. And it was... Someone bought a really cheap power supply on AliExpress. And was basically just got it in was just looking it over and noticed that one of the caps looked funky Mm. and it was a re like they put a new um covering on the cap and they cover and it's on the outside it was like a 240 volt power supply input and so you would need like 380 volt caps on the well you probably need like 400 volt right 450 volt caps on on outside the rectifier well, it said 450 on it, but when you cut the outside of it off, it actually was a 300 volt cap. Oh, so they just put yeah. a new. Um, it's not a um, shrink. It's shrink wrap, but it you know the shrink wrap that's got the labeling on it. That's what they put over the caps. Yep. Um, so they basically remarked the cap, a 300 volt cap, as a 450 volt cap. Um, you know, okay, so there was a company that I dealt with back in, like, 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. uh, and they sold kits for building guitar amps, and they got in a bunch of trouble because their their guitar amps were failing, mm-hmm. and caps were exploding, and uh, I was I was on their forums How at metal. that time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, in fact, here's a picture right here. Uh, here's a picture from kind of back in the day um, that may have... Move oh, on. I see it. I, yeah, I yeah. Move it. So, so there was a Chinese company that this co- that this company I dealt with was buying caps from. That that Chinese company was literally no reskinning them, reskinning caps at a higher voltage range, and even in some cases a different capacitance range. Yeah. So this one was the same capacitance, it's just different voltage. Yeah. Um, so what I want to talk about um, is how do you test? So you, let's say you bought. So the best solution is you just buy caps from. Authorized dealers, right? That's like the easiest solution. Well, and the manufacturer's name is written on the side, and it's a good manufacturer. Yeah. They actually like probably spoofed that too. They probably used I, the, these are like Nikki Cons that they're probably not Nikki Cons. Hmm. Um, but how would you test without without destructively testing the voltage rating on a cap? I was about to say it's pretty easy to. Uh, destructively test. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah, keep ramping yeah, up your voltage. Oh, uh, blew up there. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's the top end. Um, I do you have a solution to? Because I think I have one. Yeah. So I actually sort because I didn't know either. I, I so I started searching like how would you test it, and so I started looking at like cap database uh, data sheets, mm-hmm. and because the capacitance changes, especially for electrolytics, they change as the voltage changes. So, like, on the lower end, you get all your 1,000 microfarads or whatever it's rated for. But as your voltage ramps up, it go- that goes down. It derates at a certain rate. And, like, the data sheet for the cap is going to say what that is and blah, blah, blah. Um, but let's say, like, you just bought caps that were spray-painted black or they don't have covers. So they're super sketchy. Hmm. Um, so... The trick would be to measure their capacitance, and I think what you do is you measure the capacitance over a spectrum of voltage until you start seeing a drop-off in capacitance, and then that's probably right around where its rating should be, because then basically once you start getting closer and closer and closer, it'll start dropping really fast off, and... Stop being a capacitor. Well, and, <laughs> and, and I, think, I think short. <laughs> I think what's actually okay. So, so the what uh, I'm probably going to talk a little bit out of my butt here, but oh, uh, one of the factors that that determines the voltage rating is the uh, the dielectric. Well, not I mean the dielectric is pretty much the main factor. Yeah. Because uh, 
you know, if you go above what the dielectric is, you you break it down and you arc across it. Yep. Uh, so that's that's your main factor in there. But the the ESR, the effective series, or the, yeah, the effective series resistance, mm-hmm. and your leakage current through that will change also Correct. as you go up. So if you if you both put an ammeter ah. on there and your voltage as you go up, you see how much more current it starts to draw, and when it starts to draw. An appreciable amount of mm-hmm. current. Like if it's, you know, if you're, if you you're gotta, the, you got to graph it out. And once the graph starts graph changing, when the graph starts to curve, you see a knee in the curve. Uh, basically, you know, you're going to see something real thin and then it'll start to turn up and, and hockey stick. Hockey stick. Yeah, it'll hockey stick. R- kind of right before the hockey stick happens. There's that's your easier. Rating. That's easier to test than capacitance. Ye- way easier. But. Yeah you're looking at small... Well, depending on the capacitance of the capacitor itself, yeah. you're looking at small currents. Yeah. Well, for electrolytic, you should be able to read that. Uh, yeah, big electrolytics are going to have a lot of leakage current, so it should not it, it should be in, like, the microamps. Yeah. But if you're looking at, like, if you're trying to figure out, like, a like a ceramic, small ceramic capacitor, you're looking at, like, picoamps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gets a lot harder to read, but... You know, th- this issue isn't going to happen in the small ceramic stuff. In no. the big electrolytics, the leakage current will probably tell you most yeah. of it. We should try this out. This should be this would be a lot of fun to test. See if that if that works. Let's just try flipping them backwards first to see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever blown up a cap in it backwards? Uh, no, but I have done it by putting a ton of voltage on it. I think I've tweeted about it. I had a, I, I was testing my slow motion 200 FPS on my Pixel oh, 2. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah caps will blow up forwards or backwards if you abuse them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. There's a lot of... There's a ton of energy in there. You don't realize that they have that much energy in That's that all little the tiny... Yeah, yeah, evil dancing pixies. <laughs> <laughs> so, l- <laughs> listeners, if you ever purchased counterfeit or fake parts, let us know. And uh, I think we'll just wrap up the episode from there. Yeah. So that was the MacroFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Let us know if you've bought, or accidentally, I guess, bought fake parts. If you know Unwillingly that. known you bought fake parts. And what happened? Are you still alive? <laughs> I, they're tweeting us zombie Twitters. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs>Thank you, yes you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or counterfeit part you want Steven and I to discuss, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab.com. Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen, as it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. I think we just hit five reviews on, pod- on iTunes. Woo-hoo.